or good afternoon, actually. Good evening. Good evening. Um, my name is Phil Nicholas. I'm here um, substituting for Carter, who's uh, still having some R&R &R for the summer. And uh, so we have almost one month down in hurricane season. We only have, I think, four or five to go. I just came from L.A., and uh, I was, hey, Sarah, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm going to move you up here. Oh, okay. <clears throat> you just want to see. Okay. Is that better? Um, I'll put this here. Over here. So I just got back from L.A., and uh, let me tell you, that was a toaster oven. We were at a wedding with uh, absolutely no covering outside. So I think it was 105 degrees. And it was a relief uh, to come back to Miami, I swear. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Look, I want to start with uh, a little bit of prayer. So please bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this time together. Father, I pray that uh, I would not speak, but that your word would speak uh, through me. I pray that uh, everyone here would leave today knowing more about you and more about themselves and your love. In Christ's name, amen. So we're continuing our series. It's called uh, Wanderers and Wrestlers, looking at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we are doing this, looking at their lives so we can come to know God better and how God reaches us through the, through the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The topic designated for tonight is called Real Wealth, and we're going to continue our study of Abraham. We're going to see what real wealth meant to him and we're going to see some twists and turns about what it meant to him. Last week, David touched upon how God called Abraham to a new land and how Abraham exercised his faith and he left his home to follow God's guidance. And tonight, we're going to see this man of faith have a great fall of faith. And then we're going to see how he is restored to faith. And I think we're going to see a lot of similarities with our own journeys. We're also going to hear about two big concepts uh, tonight. We're going to hear about the big story, and we're going to hear about the little story. We've spoken of this dynamic in the past, but tonight we're going to see it operate in the life of Abraham and see how, it, how that dynam dynamic applies to you and me, the big story and the little story. But first, we're going to look at uh, an example in a movie clip. If you guys don't know this movie, I'm sure you do. It's the greatest movie of all time, uh, Braveheart. And um, uh, the English are ruthlessly ruling over the land. The nobles of Scotland are greedy for lands and estates and titles. And they're faced with potential war with England, a war they do not want. The nobles hope they can strike a deal with the English. They'll surrender Scotland to the English and in exchange get more land and titles. But the main character in this movie, William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, will have nothing to do with the nobles' plans. He will settle for nothing short of freedom for Scotland. So let's take a look at our clip. And I want you to see if you can identify the big story and the little story in this clip. The Almighty says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute? For presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. 
And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh, the English are too many. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. Kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Aye. Fight and you may die. Run. And you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! <laughs> Isn't that awesome? This is awesome. So uh, what do you think our little story was in that clip? I'll, I'll give you a chance to guess. What, what was the little story in that clip? Anybody? Okay. It was uh, the men of Scotland wanting to survive. It was the men of Scotland that didn't want to go to war. They wanted to survive. Nothing wrong with that. But it's a little story compared to the story, the bigger story that William Wallace paints that they're invited to join. He, he challenges them to look beyond their little story of surviving. He shows them ultimately what real wealth is in this context. He uses a phrase that plants in the mind of these men that they are more than servants to these nobles. He uses the phrase sons of Scotland. He starts by reminding them who they are, not a servant of the nobles, but they are sons, sons of Scotland. Then he paints for them what is at stake. It's freedom itself. It's freedom for Scotland. This is what will bring them greatness, significance, and real wealth in this context. It's the bigger story. The men of Scotland fought that day, and they won that battle. And ultimately, they won their freedom from the English. If they had not bought into the bigger story in this battle, that may never have happened. We all have little stories. Like these men in Scot the men of Scotland, we seek survival. 
comfort. We want less hassle in life. We look for all of this in our education, in our job, in our possessions, our relationships, our political parties, and our passions. Why are these little stories? Well, it's because of the big story that they compare with. The biggest story of all is God. God either exists or he doesn't. And if God exists, then what he has done, what he is doing today, and what he will do in the future is the biggest story. We know that God created all things. He created the heavens and the earth, and he said that it was very good. But man rebelled and man fell from God's grace. They rebelled against the author of life, and they experienced death in their relationship with God. But God is a lover of us. He commences to pursue us with a great pursuing love, culminating in the death of his son at the cross, satisfying God's demand for justice for our rebellion. And then he will make all things new. He will bring us back in relationship with him, and we will live eternally with our Lord and one another. How does that story compare with your little stories? In this bigger story, we have eternal life. We have eternal security. We have eternal fulfillment. We have eternal significance. We have eternal joy. We're all looking for these things. We're all looking for these things in our little stories, but we know that our little stories will always fall short. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we're told that God has placed eternity in the heart of men. There's something in our hearts, is there not, that longs for something beyond. We've often hear, is this all there is to life? Is this really all there is? We say that because there's an eternity buried in our hearts. It's almost as if we've been programmed with it. We long for it. Blaise Pascal said that in the human heart is a God-shaped vacuum. It is God-shaped. And yet we try to fill it constantly. We feel it. We feel its void. And we try to fill it with our little stories. But they they will never fulfill it because they're little stories. And the vacuum in our hearts is God-shaped. For those of us who are believers in Christ, we, we know this. We know the wealth of this world is fleeting. It comes in many forms. It comes in our happy moments our success, hard work, but it's fleeting. It ultimately will never satisfy. And tonight, we're going to talk about the big story and little story dynamic in the life of Abraham. And we'll see how God interacts with Abraham in this dynamic because this is how he interacts with us the same way. So we're going to start from the beginning. A reminder of the great call of Abraham The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. The Lord continues, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abraham leaves his land, relying only on the promises of God. He goes to a land that he has never seen, 
Imagine if we would do that, would you? I want you to move. What am I going, where am I moving? Well, I'll show you. Where am I going to live? Well, we'll work that out. How am I going to survive? Don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. Okay? How would you do? The book of Hebrews describes this great act of faith in Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham believed God. He put his faith in God. He looked forward even beyond the land itself. The bigger story, real wealth, real significance, real joy. He left the stories of his homeland behind to pursue this much bigger story. Jesus said of faith, have faith in God. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you that if anyone says to this mountain, lift it up and thrown into the sea, and has no doubt in his heart but believes that it will happen, it will be done for him. Abraham's faith moved mountains. He became the patriarch, the father of many nations. He is the patriarch of the Judeo-Christian system of all Jews, of all Christians, and all Semitic peoples. And it was through Abraham that the Messiah came into the world. His faith in the bigger story moved mountains. Faith in our lives has mountainous results. I guarantee you that um, I could, we, could, we could spend hours here tonight listening to the stories of how we came to faith in Christ, listening to how we have journeyed with God, listening to how we placed faith in the, in the promises of God, and we will be able to describe the mountains that were moved. Back to Abraham. After setting out and settling this new land, there was a famine in Egypt. He goes. So let's look at what happens when, when he gets to Egypt. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. What happened to the man of faith? What happened to the man that relied on the great promises of God? He was acting out of fear here, wasn't he? He was afraid of being killed. Where did his faith go? How we forget God's big picture. How we forget his promises. We're often stirred by the big story. And if, if you're a believer, that's why you're here. Uh, you're here because of the big story. But we often fail to look at our day-to-day -day circumstances through that big story. How often we get caught up, Right? in our little stories. How often we turn to the small stories of lust, of greed, of fear, of worry, and sometimes, like Abraham did here, desperation. Jesus said, in this world you will have many troubles. But this is a little story, the troubles that we have. As we pursue happiness, relationships, career, etc., we experience troubles. And how are we to deal with them? 
Are we to connive? Are we to plan? Are we to, to go about solving it ourselves? Sometimes we do, and sometimes we're successful. But are we to do like Abraham did? No, Jesus tells us, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us the solution to our troubles. He tells us to take heart in him. The bigger story, a greater hope. Jesus points us to the big story so often in scriptures. I'm going to just read a couple here. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? That's the little story. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, that's a big story. Our heavenly Father knows what we need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Big story. We have another. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's a little story, the treasures we store up on earth. Storing up treasure after treasure after treasure. I just redid my back deck, and it already needs to be restained. It's been eight months, and i got to do it again. I'm going to have to do it every year. Indeed, we are told, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Big story. Is your heart in your earthly treasures? Or is your heart geared towards storing up heavenly treasures and basking in the promises of God? Big story. It's a, we're conflicted by that question, aren't we? We're conflicted. You will get a kick out of this example. I left uh, my belt laying in the bedroom. And uh, I picked it up. And I went, my, my wife's smiling at me. I went and I picked it up and I hung it up in the closet. And she goes, well, look at you hanging up your belt. And I was preparing for the sermon. I go, babe, you're focused on the little story. I'm, I'm, not, just, I'm not just hanging up my belt. I'm focused on the bigger story. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To which, and I told her that, to which she responded, it's more like happy wife, happy life. (laughs) That's kind of a big story too, isn't it? What's the point? You know, we can always look at life's um, situations through a little story lens. We can always do that. You know, uh, we all have people that rub us the wrong way. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's uh, someone in your condo association. (laughs) Maybe it's a family member. Who knows? And we uh, see them as sort of enemies, right? When I say rub them the wrong way, that's very soft. I'm being very kind when I say that. But in the bigger story, and that's a small story, in the big story, Jesus says to love your enemies and to pray for them. (laughs) Imagine looking at your friend rubbing you the wrong way through the little story eyes. Now imagine looking at them through the big story eyes and loving them and praying for them. Work can be drudgery, Work can also be uh, wonderful. I mean, we accomplish great things at work. We pat ourselves on the back. We have a lot of success, make money, and so on. But those are little stories. You know what the Lord says about work? He says to work as if you're working for the Lord. Okay. That's why the ditch digger can dig that perfect ditch. 
because he's working for the Lord. The Protestant work ethic in America was based upon this view that the ditch digger was no different than the doctor. They all had equal dignity before God, and they were to work as if working for the Lord, the Protestant work ethic. We need to operate in life with the big story in mind. We are the great heirs of the promises of God. We are children of God. We are princes and princesses of the kingdom. That's what we're told. We're co-heirs with Christ, sons of Scotland. And yet, often we forget, like Abraham, and we reduce to fear and plotting. We need to remember who we are, remember what God has done for us in Christ and what he is going to do. We need to keep our eyes on the big story. Back to Abraham and look at what his conniving produced. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He, Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. He lost his wife. And it looks like he took an exchange for her. I mean, he got all kinds of stuff. Cattle, donkeys, servants, camels. What a disaster. What a total disaster from this great man of faith. But the Lord is not going to rest in our short-term plans. He's not going to rest in our fears and our conniving and our small stories. He's in the business, guys, of awakening us over and over to the big story. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver, it says in the psalm. That is what he is interested in doing, is re in refining us like silver. I remember when I was a new Christian, full of zeal, this is about 30 years ago, the gentleman that led me to the Lord said, Phil, what, what do you um, uh, hope for your life down the road? And I said, uh, well, I don't know. I, I guess I'd like to be involved in some kind of ministry someday. I thought that was a good answer. And he goes, well, you know what the Lord's plan is for you? And I went, know what? I mean, I, wow, he knows the answer. And he goes, uh, that you be conformed to the image of his son. That was the Lord's plan for me. You know, we can have all kinds of plans for our lives. We have them. If we sat down with one another, I guarantee we'd have three-year, five-year, ten-year plans. Uh, I'm sort of in the fourth quarter. I have my fourth quarter plan. The bigger story, though, is the plans that he has for you and me to conform us in the image of his son. Do you ever think of that plan? It's in the bigger story. In this moment right now, God is in the process of conforming you and I into the image of his son. That's his focus. You know, sometimes we get our lives in such a mess, we plead with God to take action, as I'm sure Abram did. Well, the Lord took action and rescued Abram from his ridiculous situation, as he often does with us. He's not done with Abraham, so here we go. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Great question. Take her and go. Even Pharaoh saw how ridiculous this situation was. But now Abraham goes home. And we indeed see something 
Amazing. That walk back home, think about it. I want you to, I want you to imagine Sarah. Good move, honey. Really good move. I bet Abraham felt so humbled and convicted by his lack of faith, I'm sure Sarah reminded him of that as well. Now we see something that suggests that on that walk home, that God was working on Abraham's heart and refining him like silver. Imagine his thoughts as he was walking back to the promised land, the land where God had directed him. Our sin, our failures, our failure to rest by faith in the promises of God often produces chaos in our lives. In this, in the life of a, of a believer, eventually, it leads to repentance. Back to Abraham. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. And, we had, and where he had first built an altar there. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram goes back to the place where he built his first altar after God brought him to this land. The one that he built in the land where the Lord called him to go. He was reminded of the promises of God. The land he went to by faith. You know, after I mess up, I come to my senses, okay? I find myself praying. I find myself bearing my soul to God, invariably sometimes in tears, calling on the name of the Lord, and he always refreshes me. I'll bet you if you're a Christian and that's your experience, I bet you are always refreshed when you go to the Lord in that posture. He always reinvigorates, and his children always turn to him in repentance, returning to the bigger story. We see this in Abraham as the story continues. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. So here we have this difficult solution. Lot has his herds, Abraham has his herds, and the herds are probably mixing, and the, and the herdsmen are, are quarreling, and, and it's a mess. And so Abraham comes up with a solution. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now this is an amazing thing. Abraham is the patriarch. Abraham is the elder. Abraham is the one that received the promises of God. Lot was his nephew that Abraham took with him. Abraham was resting in the sovereignty of God. You choose, Lot. You choose. Abraham was once again resting in God's promises, in God's control over his life and his future. He was once again resting in the fact that God is faithful to his promises. Abraham has no reason to fear, no reason to be insecure, no need to put fear about missing out on the best land. 
Father, you choose. Lot, you choose. So what happened? Lot lifted his eyes and saw the Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Lot is resting in the little story. The lust of his eyes are his guide. I've done that before. I remember uh, switching jobs to another company. They were going to pay me, at that time, to me, significantly more money. I wasn't a Christian. I never, I never took that decision to the Lord. I never, would, I never thought to. So I didn't seek his guidance. Uh, Father, is this the right move for me? Father, is this, is this where you want me to be at this new place? Or do you want me to stay here? Father, please make that clear to me. Because I don't want to be outside of your will. I, I didn't say any kind of prayer like that. I just moved. And within six months, what a mistake that was. The grass was not greener on the other side. And we'll hear about Lot and the messes he gets in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And now we're back to Abraham. A humbled man exercising his faith and trusting God again. And then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes, Abraham. You know, when we repent and we, we go before God, And, and you're honest before him. And you're seeking him. And you're asking him for that greater faith to rest in his promises. He says that to us. Lift up your eyes. How often does he do that to you, reminding you of the great love and promises for you? Well, he does that with Abraham. Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. First, some observations here, okay? God makes no mention of Abraham's debacle, his sin in Egypt. That is exactly how God treats us, we're told in the scriptures that his forgiveness is eternal through Christ. That as far as the east is from the west, he remembers our sin no more. Second, God reminds Abraham who he is. Remember, Abraham, you are the receiver of my great promises. When we repent and come to God, he reminds us of his great promises to us. He reminds us that we are Beloved sons and daughters. That is what God did for Abraham, and that is, that is what God does for us. Reminded us who we are. And third, he calls us to arise and behold. Behold, once again, the bigger story. Be refreshed by the bigger story and all the promises he had made to, he makes to us. God often seems to do this. We act in faith. 
Then he reminds us of his promises and reveals more to us through his word, his spirit. When we gather together as believers, iron sharpening iron, faith is the great connector. It is the great connector to the bigger story. The reason we do not experience the bigger story in our lives, even as Christians, in any given moment, moment is our lack of faith. Faith is the bridge. Jesus said our faith would move mountains. When we act in faith, the big story comes into view. If this isn't happening to you, then I submit to you that you're not exercising your faith and placing your trust in the Lord and his promises. You may not even know his promises, for you have ignored searching them out. How gracious is our God time and time again. He reminds us of the big story, and when he does, we rest again in faith, faith upon faith, as we should, for we are his. Now my righteous one shall live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. God always loves his children. But when we cease to live by faith, God takes no pleasure in it. If you're a parent with children and you're accustomed to them trusting you, your guidance and your love, having faith in your promises, and then one day they stop doing that, they stop trusting you, they stop having faith in your promises, and they withdraw, you you take no pleasure in that. And so it is. With God. When we exercise our faith in God, He takes great pleasure in this. God tells Abraham, Rise, walk in the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. He calls us to arise, to get up, walk about the promises, explore the promises that I have made to you, walk their length and their breadth. Do not just sit there, get up, arise and walk. Know them. Meditate on them. Believe in them. Some of his promises to walk through the midst of, just rattle off a few here. We're not just forgiven seven times, but infinitely. Seventy, Jesus used the word 70 times, seven times. He forgives you. He knew all about you when he died on the cross. You don't surprise him. No more than Abraham surprised God with his little debacle in Egypt. God knew that was going to happen. God loves you, not just your performance up to some point in time. We really are adopted. We really are loved by God. He really is our perfect father, and we really are his children. He will never leave us or forsake us. He loves us with an enduring, eternal love. Jesus really did satisfy God's justice at the cross for all of our rebellion against him. He really did that. Jesus really did rise from the dead, and we really shall as well. Jesus really did go to prepare a place for us. He really will come back to get us and take him to where he is. We really will spend eternity with him and with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a place that is beyond our comprehension, beyond our imagination, for no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. This is real wealth. This is the bigger story there for you and me forever.
Finally, we end with the last verse in chapter 13. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tent. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Chapter 13 ends with Abraham building an altar, an altar of sacrifice, where he remembers the big story, where he remembers what real wealth is, walking in the promises of God. I am sure that as Christ hung on the cross, and it was in a very public place in front of these roads, that the passerbyers would walk by and think another Jew being executed by the Romans. That's a little story. The big story is that is God making his people right with him through the death of his son. Uh, to my, to my non-believing friends, and I have many, and I love them very much, this big story is true. It's not just some fancy philosophy that we've talked ourselves into. We may, we may not often know how to talk about it. We may not often have the right words to say, but we would like to talk about it. We'll do our best to answer your questions. One of the greatest moments I've experienced recently is sitting with my granddaughter, Harper, telling her that God made the stars. I actually thought, how do, how do I say that? What will she think when I say that? I was kind of nervous. She's four years old. Harper, did you know that God made the stars? I was opening a crack into the big story, you see. And that's what we do when we share our faith. We're, we're opening a crack into the big story. And I say a crack because of everything that follows from that if the person is willing to go on that journey with us. By the way, Harper then wanted to know if the turtles were made by God and the clouds were made by God and the fish. And then she asked me if I was made by God. Okay, so my brothers and sisters... Uh, sons of Scotland, great heirs of the promises of God to Abraham, we are forever participants in the bigger story. Let's be iron sharpening iron, shall we? Shall we prompt each other towards the bigger story for the rest of our days? Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for this time together, I thank you for, I thank you for the lives of Abraham, and we'll soon see Isaac and Jacob, Father, I, I thank you that you show us their foibles, their debacles, their lack of faith, thank you for showing us how you worked in their lives to rescue them, to bring them back to you to humble them, to bring them to a point of repentance. Thank you, Father, that that paradigm is exactly what we see in our lives because it's true. You do not change, Lord. 
you operate with Abraham and us the same way. So I pray, Lord, for the courage and the wisdom to rely on and discern your promises. I ask that you give us faith to exercise, that we will experience the beauty of the bigger story, real wealth. In Christ's name, amen.